in construction, you always want to be done in time and budget because different technologies ultimately are saving you time by saving the owner, the cost savings. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan. And I'm your co-host, Suzanne Waters. So let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan, and I'm excited to have my co-host, Suzanne Waters. And we're actually doing our first podcast. We're actually interviewing someone else where we're not doing a 101 topic or talking about a different state level market, Suzanne. Can you briefly tell the audience about what you do at Renew Energy? And I'm the CEO and founder of Renew Energy, and I'm excited to have my co-host and obviously interview our guest and introduce our guest. Hey, everybody. I'm Suzanne Waters. For those of you that don't know, I'm the VP of Business Development here at Renew Energy. I do a lot of our SREC management, proposal writing, networking. <laughs> I always leave things out. But don't you have yes, to- <laughs> yes. And she's great at networking, I'm build, building, <laughs> building relationships with commercial industrial building owners, people who are potentially are interested in selling SREX, land opportunities. And there's a couple of episodes with Suzanne now. By the time this episode comes out, Suzanne, do you want to briefly talk about some of the episodes? Yeah. So as Benoit said, we like to do the 101 topics. So we do an SREC 101 and offhand think of my episode numbers right now. I know my sure. first episode was episode six, why solar is a great industry to work in. We do an SREC 101. We did a brief overview of the New Jersey solar market, a brief overview of the New York solar market, the community solar 101. And then this is our first combined interview. And then obviously your famous hashtag. Hashtag Carpe Solum. Suzanne's going to introduce our guest who we both know very well from our previous work experience. And Suzanne, can you do the intro? Yes. So we are so excited and so honored to have here with us today, as Benoit said, a former coworker of both of ours. I feel like we talk about him on all of our other episodes. We'd like to introduce Juan Triol. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Suzanne. Juan is actually one of the project estimators at Strata Solar. As I said, Benoit and I used to work with Juan at Vanguard Energy Partners. Juan's site civil experience includes utility projects, concrete dam reconstruction, microtunneling, airport runway, environmental remediation sites, and demolition and subways. His experience also includes the role of director of system design and turnkey estimating for Vanguard Energy Partners. His comprehensive knowledge of construction means and methods and pre-construction procurement enhanced Vanguard's professionalism with regard to construction practices and protocols. His latter responsibilities at Vanguard required daily interaction with a wide assortment of subcontractors and equipment suppliers, which has allowed Juan to become a very familiar player in the Mid-Atlantic Regional Territory. Yeah, that's a great introduction. And I know, you know, Juan could obviously talk about your background more, but we're excited to have you because you're actually the first project estimator we've had. And I learned actually the importance of project estimating with working with Juan on a lot of these projects. So I'm excited because I learned a lot from you about all the different aspects of equipment and working with subcontractors and those public RFPs. And we're trying to figure out last minute how to value the projects. So I'm really excited to have you. And I know too at Strata Solar, you're still in solar estimating, but you do more like the huge utility scale projects. We were talking about a real utility scale project is tying to a substation. So Juan, if you could go into maybe not all the audience members of Solar Mavericks know what a project estimator is and the importance of it, it would be great 
for you to talk about what a project estimator does and your background more in depth. Yeah, thank you, Benoit and Suzanne, for the introduction. Super honored to be invited to this podcast, one of the best, if not the best, solid oh, podcasts in the, in the <laughs> industry. So as far as a project cost estimator, we estimators do approximations on costs for projects. So we put together what the labor material rental subcontractors, others, what the project is going to cost. We predict what the cost will be in the future. So we have to build the jobs in our head, do our due diligence, go through the request for proposal, direct fees that Vinoy spoke about, make sure everything protects the company as far as requirements, and put a budget together that it's going to be a qualified budget that's going to win the project and also at the same time protect the company and the owner from any hiccups. One of the things we talked about, I know I'm kind of switching gears a little bit, but there's been so much volatility in pricing, specifically like panels. We were talking about time. How do you price those things out when things are just constantly in flux? Obviously, the tariffs made things as well more complicated, pre-tariff, post-tariff. That's a good question, Benoit. So yes, a lot of volatility in the solar industry, as any of these tariffs that have impacted not just solar, but the steel industry and so forth. As far as the estimate, cost estimator's job is qualifications, clarifications, inclusions, exclusions. So when you put your budget together, you said the budget's based on this couple of services that the owner required the contractor to bid, and you have qualifiers, inclusions, exclusions that protect the owner and the contractor from unpleasant exchange, if you could say, sure. in the future. So yeah, the tariffs would be qualifier. Oh, okay, basically, that, that to, makes to sense. Protect to both, protect both, protect both parties, parties. Because it's an unforeseeable cost to some extent. I mean, you could Definitely. do educated guesses based. You could go to the country of origin, you know, toss it down, talk, and do a, an educated guess and you put your best foot forward for the budget. Definitely. But the qualification will ultimately, will ultimately. protect you and, and the owner. Okay, so our next question for you, Juan, can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Stratasolar? So at Stratasolar is a virtually integrated an engineer, procurement, contractor in the commercial industrial sectors, utility scale sector, operations and maintenance and development. My role at Stratasolar is I get involved with the cost estimating from starting from rough order of magnitude, which is the, okay, what's the 50% to 100% likelihood of accuracy for the project to binding project. So I'm one of the cost estimators that works together on the budget that it will be delivered to the owner. And I get involved some with the binding bid process. I get involved a little bit with subcontractors. I, we have a, a subcontractor manager, but from time to time, I'll help out a little bit if needed. It's amazing to me. Now you have like 10 years of cost estimating experience in solar. Can you talk about what you do and what are kind of the different experiences that you have with the 10 years that you've sure, been sure. cost go, estimating yeah, good solar question. projects? And it's uh, in, from my background that I also did estimating on the, uh, on the civil side on horizontal construction. And it's pretty similar in the sense that you get a bid package from the owner. You have all the documents, specifications, your scope award that you have to bid, you go through everything, you ask questions in the form of a request for information. And once you have all the information, you could start your takeoffs and see what quantities are associated with the project. If there's subcontractors that to do any of the specialty 
work that you do not self-perform, they're engaged, and you basically try to gather all the pricing that you will need to put this budget together. Mm-hmm. And then you put the budget together, you go over with construction, you go over with the bid manager, the VP of estimating, the owner, and the pricing gets blessed, you do a proposal or electronic format, however. In the old days, they used to go in a public reading, they'll open all the, sure. all the bids <laughs> and they'll be, okay, here's the winner. But yeah. now nowadays, everything's so electronically, sometimes you just get an email. Definitely. So How anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's much better than the way it used to be. You delivered five copies. You remember, Suzanne? I remember. Yeah. Five copies, 100 pages details. each. Some owners, not all, some will just skim through 99 pages and go to the price and and throw your bid. So it's a much better system, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. And you save paper and things like that. And Suzanne, Juan, and I actually worked at Vanguard Energy Partners and spent late nights doing these public RFPs, printing out five to 10 copies, racing to the public bid opening. And so, yeah, that definitely makes things... You're saving trees, but it's more efficient. Saving time. Saving Saving time time as well for all the parties included. And as you know, too, like on the public RFPs, it's like a race. Basically, the lowest bid usually tends to win. Yeah. So different countries have different approaches. Some countries will have, they'll pick the middle bidder to avoid the chance for change orders. Interesting. Which something like in the US, it's more popular, the lowest qualified bidder. So it's not just the cheapest guy, but it's the lowest qualified guy because ultimately you the owner wants to make sure the contractor would do a seamless project with no change orders in time in budget that's the goal and that's the goal of the contractor as well a good contractor a good contractor sure but yeah in the u.s it's lowest qualified bidder lowest qualified builder yeah i would assume that a lot of the projects that strata does is you mentioned utility scale projects so it could be public rfps but then you're mentioning too, you guys obviously do commercial industrial buildings, shopping centers. It seems like it also runs the gamut as far as like different states as well that Strata Solar focuses on. That's correct. On the uh, CNI, the commercial industrial side, we do a lot of malls, a lot of shopping centers, and it's private requests for proposals. Private RFPs is more typical yeah. on that sense because the capital is private. Definitely. Correct. We'll do not just the EPC work, they engineering procurement construction, but we'll also do the operations and maintenance. Sure. Because solar is a living asset. So just because you see it as a static system, doesn't mean that it's not live. As Dominic mentioned on on the last episode, or episode 30, I'm sorry. that's impressive. (laughs) Episode 30, then the systems have electrons flowing, 1,000 volt, 1,500 volt systems. I mean, this systems are working hard. Yeah, definitely. And do you think there's a benefit for having the original EPC be the O&M versus a different company doing the O&M? It depends. I would say O&M operations and maintenance is such a specialized part of the life of the solar array that if, I would say yes, if the company set up for it. Yeah. So a company like Strata Solar that has network operations centers operating 24-7, 365, we had this an alert, we can immediately respond, sure. dispatch, reactive, corrective work, a company that it's a great EPC, but is not set up for operations and maintenance because the project's on the other side of the country and they don't have local partners to react quickly, 
then it then not me well suited for it. Definitely. So it's case by case, I would say. Nothing against any EPCs is Sure, and Stratosolar is one of the bigger EPCs in the United States. It's consistently ranked the top five, right? Turnkey solar EPC contractors in the US. And I guess with over 1.5 this gigawatts yeah, installed yeah, today. Yeah, 1.5 gigawatts installed today. And then I know you mentioned EPC O&M services. It also says development and asset management as well, I guess, a big... Correct. So as Stratus Solar, we also develop our own PV arrays. So whether we have retained a lot of them and be the, the asset manager and the owner operator. Sure. And some of them, they will be sold, some will be retained. But yeah, we're also a developer because a lot of the utilities, as hard as they're pushing, they can't get to every single site. So some of the larger EPCs will develop a site and act as a developer and provide the site as the developer and potentially Potentially. the EPC contractor. Oh, interesting. That's great to know. So it seems like almost you guys are soup to nuts from initial development to building the projects to asset management and O&M. So it's full service. Yeah, in some instances, sometimes we're just the EPC, sometimes we're just the O&M provider. But in some instances, we will be from origination, development, EPC, O&M provider. Yeah, we'll be from A to Z. A to Z. That's really helpful to know. And obviously, Strata is one of the bigger players in the United States. So that's great to kind of understand what they're doing in their business. Can you tell us how you vet subcontractors and equipment suppliers? Sure. That's a very good question. By the way, this came because I would spend time with you. And the great thing, actually, when we worked at Vanguard, instead of you just giving me the quote of what it was, you would actually walk me through the quotes and the different components. So justifying your numbers. Yeah, justifying your numbers. (laughs) Defending. Defending your numbers. By the way, I wasn't like asking these questions, but Juan was very educational, like in explaining it, which was great because I think that's not very typical for estimators to do. So I really appreciate it. Then you would talk about the negotiations with certain electrical contractors, why you have a preference in certain types of jobs for for certain ones. And then I know we're doing a lot of projects at Vanguard in New Jersey. So then you would talk about unionized versus non-unionized labor, depending on how big the system is. So that's why this question came up. And it seems like challenging aspect and you're pretty well networked whenever i go see juan at a solar show all the equipment suppliers seem to know juan that's from my past life (laughs) (laughs) at strata we have uh, our own procurement department that is very good at sourcing and vetting equipment suppliers and subcontractors but to answer your question at strata we have procurement deals for 99 percent with the subcontractor vetting but from time to time the cost estimator at an early stage typically they on a new region, it's not a bad idea for the cost estimator to get involved because some areas, like you say, one of the main factors for cost estimates is wages. So is the project union on a union territory, like which, as you know, it's regionalized yeah. in, in the country, in the U.S. Or is it on the private sector, some areas that are non-union, non-prevailing wage. So topics like safety, the OSHA 300s for contractors in, in bankability. They just, there's so many items that the checklist is huge. I mean, it's like I mentioned, a whole podcast in, in its own. Definitely. But, but as a quick summary, yeah, you look at the main things that a contractor will be a long-term partner, not just for the project, but hopefully for many projects in the future 
where hopefully down the line, that contractor pulls the main APC into another project. So a two-way street, it will be ideal. But in essence, you want to protect your company by asking all the tough questions to the potential subcontractor up front. It's great that you actually want to implement something that Dominic Mandinelli from Pro Circuit had in his podcast, episode 30, if you haven't heard it, the Mavericks, if they haven't heard it, was a safety statement. Thank you for sure. bringing that up, Benoit. I will follow my friend Dominic Mandinelli's example <laughs> for all the cost estimators and anybody that prices any job in construction, make sure you have a safety budget. It's so important for the construction team once they get to construction to have a pool to get a budget for the proper PPE, the proper fall arrest, the proper everything related to safety. Because it is tempting if you don't have the item and the estimate, whatever that item is, to try to do a shortcut, which is not what you want to do. Sure. So, So safety first, safety always. Safety budget. I know you mentioned before that Strata really focuses on safety and safety budget is an important aspect of it. Oh, absolutely. In 2018, Strata did not have one OSHA recordable. It's safety. is just such a paramount for us that keeps our clients happy. They definitely value it, especially going back to, we say lowest qualified bidder. Sometimes the cheapest guy is not the answer. Sometimes it's the the lowest qualified guide that will have no incidents during the construction process because some projects are showcase sites sure that's a great point and we appreciate you sharing the safety statement and and it's huge about having a safety budget so thank you it's interesting because strata solar is one of the top five turnkey solar epc contractors in the u.s and it sounds like from your previous experience you worked at a smaller company where you had exposure to not just the estimating, but also to the design work, specifically procurement. Can you talk about how that has helped you in your current role? The exposure to different departments as beyond cost estimating, procurement, R&D, design has been tremendously valuable because it gives you a different perspective to be sensitive not just to on the costing part of a project foreseeing the potential cost, but also being mindful of the design where is this going to fit here? Is, is that equipment going to be ready by the time the project starts, sure. et cetera, et cetera. So it's huge foundation for me as a solar professional. You have such an extensive background in construction. What actually got you interested in solar? Funny you ask, because I was interviewing for a heavy highway contractor and in the last five minutes they mentioned the same thing you have been in different parts of construction what do you think about solar and i said what about it and that was 10 years ago (laughs) and i fell in love with it so much that i decided to stay i remember going about half of my time from civil half of my time in solar and decided no i I love solar and i'm gonna stay here sure and what made you love solar the challenges yes the people the I mean you're helping the planet, right? Definitely. And yeah, they just like the design the design built industry also, I mean, you gotta think about it. So we an, a cost estimator gets rectangles with an address. It has to price out like two hundred million dollar project. But the cost estimator cannot do it by themselves. I mean, you need a huge team, engineers and managers and safety and construction personnel. I mean, everybody has an input. So it's not just the cost estimate, but to me, that's amazing. I mean, to get an address to a site, 
rectangles and a piece of paper or a capacity layout and you're like wow like you could put together a budget a 200 300 I mean, the sky's the limit yes how big these projects are from very limited information so what you can do to me is just fascinating definitely it definitely sounds fascinating and when you spend time with juan you'll see his passion for solar he gets very excited about it it's amazing it's been 10 years and it's amazing to see where your career has taken you and we're excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, I'm because, honored. Thank you. Thank you for thinking you know, of me. We try to get all facets of the industry. When we thought of estimating, we thought of Juan. Thank you. Anytime Suzanne and I are co-hosting an episode, we always give a shout out Juan. So, <laughs> you know. Very appreciated. <laughs> yeah. If I ever do a podcast, I'll make sure I give a shout out to both of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you better. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us some of the trends you're seeing in solar? As far as trends, personally, what's impacted me the most positively, it's time. So in construction, you always want to be done in time and budget. And if you can do it faster, fast track, current activities, the equipment suppliers have come up with different technologies to enhance our productivity and time savings with different equipment, which it's definitely appreciated. As far as the equipment suppliers for the main PV materials, the PV modules, the mounting structures, data acquisitions, there's been, our procurement department can answer that better, but I mean, I see the inverters getting more and more efficient, smaller <laughs> and more and more efficient. The PV modules more and more dense, so more high density every year. But uh, for me, the most impactful one has been time because different technologies ultimately are saving you time I saving the owner, the cost savings. The cost savings, yeah, yeah. which is huge. Time is money, right? And money is time. time. We appreciate your support of the podcast. Juan has actually listened to every episode. At this point, have released 30 episodes. Dominic Madinelli, who we all worked with at a certain point at Vanguard Energy Partners, was our recent, most recent episode, episode 30. What feedback do you have about the Solar Maverick podcast? Oh, I love it. it it's so different from other solar podcasts and other industry podcasts in the sense that you try to get the full spectrum view from everybody, not just the CEOs, the CFOs, but also the workers, the guys that are down executing projects. You, you interview Dominic, who's an electrical, great electrical contractor, and other solar professionals that can give you their perspective from an executioner, not just I mean, some CEOs are good and CFOs and they get, they roll up their sleeves and they execute. But generally, I believe that getting the full spectrum of views from everybody can give you a better perception of what so, of the solar industry truly is. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're learning from our audience and getting feedback and trying to improve. It's a work in progress and we appreciate your support. Well, and we've talked about in previous episodes, there's so many facets to the solar industry that really getting the perspective from so many different people, it's essential to really get a feel for everything that goes into solar in general, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's kind of funny because some people are like, I don't know how you could make a weekly show about solar. There's just so much to talk about and everyone has a unique perspective on the industry. So there's not a lack of topics to have a weekly episode that we come out with every Tuesday. Well, this is the part of the podcast. Actually, this was Kevin Y. Brown. He is actually 
the producer of the podcast. It gives our guest actually the opportunity to ask us questions. Kevin is the founder of Podcast Laundry, who edits and helps with the strategy of our podcast. He has a very successful podcast called Create Your Life Series, which is on Sirius XM Radio. I was actually interviewed on the podcast. So Juan, this gives you an opportunity. We've been asking you questions where you could ask us questions. Great, if you give me the option, I will. So two ladies first. So Suzanne, for the audience that is not aware, solar projects have a very lengthy upfront and ending cycles. And my question would be, considering the time variation, approval processes from different utility permitting agencies, do you foresee any standardization nationwide, which could in turn help expedite this upfront end cycles? That's a great question. Like we were talking about time is money. Ideally, that would be perfect. But unfortunately, I don't think that that's something that we will see in the near future, just because of the fact that each state has its own legislation, its own incentives. It would be hard to kind of make that uniform into seamless process for solar, no matter where you're doing it. So I guess my short answer would be no. (laughs) (laughs) fair enough what's your views of it that one because obviously standardization it's been talked about a lot in the industry to simplify things but what's one of the challenge that suzanne was mentioning is every state's different every utilities within the same state acts differently that's correct however there are some utilities that encompass multiple states so maybe a segregated what, what i'm trying to get at is a lot of times on different states, the upfront process, the interconnection application, the planning, zoning, if solar was viewed more as a modular operation more than this big unknown and we could have a, an expedited process looking at solar more like these modular homes that they get permitted so much faster, yes. right? Because there are fewer components when comparison to like vertical construction. Sure. Right? That makes sense. So if there was a way, hopefully in the near future, we'll see some fast-tracking projects that could help us get projects done quicker and increase the, the quantity of projects to, so we can get to the 100% renewable energy goal that we have as a country. Yeah, definitely. States and companies are having 100% renewable energy goals. I think what we're seeing in other countries outside the U.S., it's a lot more simpler. That's correct. Work with the state or the country or even the utilities to get projects through. It's, the costs are a lot less as well. You mentioned the upfront cost. Yeah, that's great. And there are agencies out there that are working very hard at um, creating some uniformity across the, at the nationwide level. But yeah, it's not an easy task, as Suzanne mentioned. Yes. Well, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> in the future, yeah. we'll see some progress. Yes, definitely. And I had a, a question for you, Benoit. With the current renewable energy combination of solutions that we see at the utility scale level, mostly on battery energy, storage solution, solar, wind, to offset traditional energy resources, do you expect the addition of more renewable energy resources, such as geothermal, incorporated into this bag of 
Turn advantage of solutions. We're having an energy transformation happening in the world. And basically, there's going to be multiple technologies, not just solar and wind. I think solar is the most scalable for intermittent power. Once energy storage becomes economical, that's a game changer. But yes, you'll still see geothermal, biomass, landfill gas, hydro. People are talking about nuclear as well to kind of get to those goals. Obviously, there's some issues with nuclear as far as recycling. And then obviously what happened in Japan and Fukushima. There's also maybe some technologies that we don't know. It's just amazing for me to see like how things are changing and how quickly they are. I have experience in those different technologies. It's just solar is just the easiest to scale. And the challenging thing too is like natural gas as well is so low that some of these other technologies that we talk about like biomass and landfill gas, they have a hard time competing with an abundant supply of natural gas, which is then dictating the energy prices or electricity prices because most of the generation is coming from natural gas plants. So that's why you see such low sort of pricing. But it's exciting because we're seeing very low pricing because of so much solar and wind coming online and the prices are declining to basically produce these systems. In a long-winded way, I think there's going to be multiple technologies, but primarily I think wind and solar are probably going to be the most popular and solar the most because it's most scalable. But obviously I'm skewed because I have the Solar Maverick podcast (laughs) and we just focus on solar. We get approached by all these different technologies. I've invested in a company that's developing, taking municipal solid waste and converting it to ethanol. So definitely interested in these other technologies. And I think there's going to be stuff that's coming in the pipeline, totally new technologies, because it's just amazing to see how, as a society, we're advancing with technology, robotics, AI, and all these other things. That's encouraging. Thank you, Benoit. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So how was your first experience on a podcast? It's like I told my wife, I came to hang out with old friends. It's uh, very, very pleasant. I definitely encourage it to anybody listening that wants to be part, reach out to Benoit and Suzanne. You can actually email us at info at renewenergy.com or you can email me directly, Suzanne at renewenergy.com. That's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E at renew, R-E-N-E-U, energy.com. If people want to learn more about Strata Solar or get in contact with you, what's the best way? So I'm active in LinkedIn. So you could reach me, Juan Trujol. My last name, it's a a mouthful. It's T-R-U. Y-O-L. You could reach me at my first name, first initial, last name, jtriol at stratasolar.com. Great. And uh, we'll have that as well in the notes of the podcast if our listeners didn't get that. And Suzanne, do you want to close out the show? Carpe solum, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And can you explain what that is if people haven't listened to your podcast? Sure. So carpe solum, everybody I'm pretty sure is familiar with the term carpe diem, seize the day. So carpe solum means seize the sun. And it was a term, I guess you could say, that I coined while I was working at Vanguard Energy Partners. Great. Carpe solum. Carpe solum. (laughs) Carpe solum. We appreciate your support of the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Till next time, you guys. See ya. See ya. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. 